This is episode 16 with trainer, coach, and entrepreneur, Paloma Medina. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vania Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I'm on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Paloma, thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you and ask you all of the questions. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> so, Paloma, I am very familiar with your work. I've seen you speak a few times. I've been to your brick and mortar store. It's adorable. I've read articles about you, about the, the work that you do, and it's fascinating. And that is one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show. And also because you're such a magical human and you're Thank a you. fellow badass Latina. So that was really <laughs> important. So for someone that is not familiar with your work, what do you do? How would you explain it to the audience? Right. So I own a store called 1111 Supply. But it's really just 1111 in that it's two parts of a company. One is the brick and mortar, which you've mentioned uh, here in Portland. And the other one, the other kind of wing of the company is we do workshops. So I'm a trainer, which is what I used to do before. And it's really nice that I get to do that still with 1111. Um, what we do is we're obsessed with psychology, neurology, and how it can help us make our lives better or our workplaces better. So we focus on tools, but we also focus on like knowledge, dispersing the knowledge. And how is it that 1111 was born? How is it that you got here? I, so before this, I was as a trainer, I was an executive coach and I really liked that work, but I could tell I'd been doing it a few years and I changed careers every three years-ish. Intentionally? Yeah. I think I kind of like, I'm like, cool, I learned that thing. What's next? Yeah. And for the most part, I, I now try to pivot so that I can build on, you know, like the network and the, and the work you've built before, the kind of brand that you've built. You don't just like leave it behind. Yeah. And so I was thinking of how to do that. And Paul was like, well, I really love psychology and I like being known as someone that can help people via psychology. And so I was like, oh, I wish I could sell psychology because I really missed working in retail. Um, you know, when you do those like exercises, like career exploration exercises, yes. and they're like, you know, talk about some of your favorite jobs, no matter what they were or how long ago they were. Yeah. What were your favorite tasks? Yeah, what, exactly. What you, yeah. Yeah. Every time I was like cashier at Whole Foods or like reselling <laughs> shoes. But when I unpacked those experiences, it wasn't the company that I worked for. It wasn't actually the task. It was this high transaction rate where you had these little tiny moments of helping humans mm. and you just get so many in retail. And I love that you're complete strangers and that it's kind of like a, this challenge, like a puzzle. This person walks in, what do they want? Like what's wrong? What are they looking for? I loved all of that. And I felt really good at it when I did it, but I hated how it's considered like low skilled labor mm. because it's not. And two, I hated that it's considered low status like and it's you, so important and it's so important it's like commerce you know um and for many of us when we go into a store we really have a legitimate life problem that we're trying to solve a need yeah, yeah. and so i didn't like that i did i was like ah i i wish that that retail wasn't seen that way mm. because to me it actually was one of my favorite jobs and i think it is important and the feeling you get when you walk into a store and feel authentically welcomed mm -hmm. and then when you don't Oh, yeah. It's, it's night and day. It's awful, right? It is. You're like, oh, and then when people treat you like they're doing you a favor mm. and you're like, I want to spend my dollars here because right. I love what you do and, and I have a need. I feel it's a, it's like an act of service and it's so important that the right people are there, you know, yeah. in those positions. Yes, absolutely. Versus like, I'm just here to sell a thing or like, I'm just here or, to make sure that your questions are answered, but I'm, I don't actually but want I don't to feel answer. It. Yeah. yeah. And I also love that retail is this weird. So where I was doing trainings and executive coaching was a lot in design and advertising and in tech industries. Mm. And I, the more that I did that work, the more it felt like a bubble, a really cool bubble and a bubble that taught me a lot of things. But after a few years, you're like, it's very specific who is there and who isn't. Mm. And I kind of missed also that in retail, like you have no idea who's going to walk in the door. 
I love that if you're the right kind of retail store, there's like anyone has a full right to walk in and look around. Yeah. And if you care to make that environment, anyone can walk in and feel welcomed and like you are so happy they're there. Yes. Be grateful because they're taking the time right. and energy to just be there and experience right. the space. Right. Right. And I just thought, well, so what do I, so, okay, I, I seem to have this thing, this fervor that I've never really gone back to with retail. Mm. So maybe I can open a store, but then what do you sell? You mm-hmm. know? Because I was like, I don't know. I don't really, I, I'm like a bit of a minimalist, not too much, but a, a, a bit of a minimalist. And I don't really believe in buying more stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, so that's weird. And I was like, I wish I could sell psychology. And I kept joking about that at dinner parties, like selling psychology to people, but not therapy. Yes. You know, just Listen, tools, like, tools, like psychology tools. So I decided to take a day or two and just brainstorm, like what, how do I engage with psychology? Like in what way does it manifest itself in my life? And mm. is there a thing there that I could sell? And I realized it was notebooks and a lot of analog tools. Mm. Like for example, there's something called affect labeling, which psychologists call when we put words to feelings we're feeling. And affect labeling is one of the most effective ways to regulate your emotions. So incredibly effective. No one believes me because it seems really simple to just like talk about what you feel. No, no, no. I'm all about feelings. Right, right. But you just like put words to it and these parts of your brain start connecting. And all of a sudden your amygdala, your like fight or flight response starts calming down. It's amazing. The way I do affect labeling is in my notebook right? Pen and paper, because it really feels different than like typing in my laptop. Yes. Right. Um, so I started kind of making this list of like, how do I engage with the psychology knowledge and the psychology like techniques that I've learned along the way? And I was like, oh, it's notebooks, it's pens, it's a planner, it's calendars, it's dot stickers, to like all this stuff. Yeah, so I was like, like, oh my God. My brain is lighting up. <laughs> so I, my favorite toy as a kid, it wasn't a toy. It was stationary. It was labels, post-its, yeah. markers, stickers. <laughs> so good. You were saying this and I remember last time I was at your store, I bought some stickers like for color coding things and a pen. And for me, sometimes it's not even the task it's about writing the task on the notebook with a colorful pen and with a <laughs> sticker and then putting a mark on it. Like I almost lose myself in that. And there's a joy to it. Joy is such a good word for it. Yeah. yeah. And I think losing yourself is a really nice phrase. The thing that you just said, once I opened, so when I first was like, I'm going to do this thing, I think it makes sense like psychology and office supplies. And every time I tried explaining it to people because I didn't have the store yet, it was hard to explain it. Mm-hmm. And I could tell people were not getting it. But I don't know why, but I was like, I don't care. I'm going to open it anyway. What's been really neat is now that we have a store and like the thing that was in your head is now like a physical reality. Yes. And people can walk through it, like move their bodies through this idea you had. Mm -hmm. Now, what I hear so much, so much is what you just said. People come in being like, oh, my God, when I've loved office supplies since I was very little or like people being like my favorite time of the year wasn't Christmas back to school time back to school time because they got these tools oh my god pencils a new pencil case (laughs) colors I have been surprised how many people have said those words to me since opening the store so I think what's really cool is I don't think I knew about that part I just I didn't know that there was this like huge amazing cohort of people who one had this connection with office supplies and really loving the act of using them, mm-hmm. like not hoarding them as no, objects, no, but like what they're for and how to use in them in the meaning they have in your life, in yeah. your everyday life to this day. And this is something that just it's, it's straight from my core. One of my favorite things like, uh, endorphin release activity is to write the shopping list for the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I have my post-its and my pens, like I buy a drawer in the kitchen and every time, so, oh, we're out of milk. Instead of thinking how, oh, I have to go go buy more or I cannot do this recipe or da 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 I think like I get to write it on a (laughs) post-it. Yes. I love it. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah, there's something... You know, a lot of folks that research this 
this kind of arena around office supplies and um, and work tools, like physical work tools and things like that, and even, you know, computers and apps, they've been talking about this external brain. Mm. And I'm really, when I opened the store, I, I didn't have that idea and I didn't know there was this huge cohort of people that love this stuff. Like it started off as one idea and what I've, what's been really neat and different about, I started a few businesses, but this one is by far the biggest, for, for both financially, the most, just a huge amount of money that this has taken. And also like physically, right? It's like 12, 1300 square feet full of stuff, like a lot, a lot yeah, of inventory, objects, inventory, and also oh my gosh. Uh, employees. And employees. I've never had so many employees. So it's like the biggest business I've ever built by far. Um, but I think in part because of that scale, it means it gets it feels like a baby in that like it's like growing its own life and becoming mm-hmm. its own thing via people interacting with it. And I wonder as an artist how I don't think I've ever made art back when I used to at that scale where it and long enough where it gets to just like you started it. And then it becomes but what its it own is, thing. is yeah. actually what it was meant to be was really kind of an evolution of that based on how people interact with it. Yes. Which has been so Magical. It's just like mind. like I was uh, telling you about this installation that I had during this Heimweek Portland, all the fields. I got a lot of joy by doing this set of ceramics and these giant fun-shaped love pillows and the texture pieces for the wall and the giant pom-poms. But really, when people stepped into the gallery and started touching everything, interacting with it, rolling around the floor and the blobs, it took a life of its own. Once you release that into the world, it is like a baby and it's nurture. It keeps growing and it keeps nurturing uh, itself with people's interactions. And then people start coming uh, from all kinds of places. It can be the interwebs or in person, they come into your store or an installation or whatever, or maybe they mention something to you, but you, after you take the risk of putting that out in the world, y- you realize that, oh, this matters to be right. not only because I made it and I think it's cool, blah, 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 but right. because people want to interact with it. Right. Like it filled, I think that's the thing that, that I had a sense of with retail was that like retail isn't just about consuming and how sometimes it makes us happy to consume things or buy things or like retail therapy or this or that. It was, it was around like, yeah, when we do get the right objects in our life, they do do something to us. And it's really neat that you can create something where that person gets to meet Mm -hmm. their object, touch it, touch it and be like, maybe this is it, select it. But like they met their object. Like if all of us, I think, have an object where it's not just sentimental because like, oh, our mom gave it to us. There's those. Mm-hmm. But there's stuff where I'm just like, oh, this, this is my is, favorite notebook. Or yes. like this pen makes me feel like I'm a real writer. Yes. Not because it's fancy. Maybe it is. Maybe no. it's just, maybe it's all black. Maybe it's slick. Maybe it's like reminds you of your first amazing, you know, essay when you got an A plus or whatever. Like objects can kind of remind us. I guess of that's the other thing that's been interesting about this. The store, I meant for people to feel very um, powerful when they walked into the store and calm at the same time. And I wasn't sure how to do both things. Like you're like, I want you to feel confident that you can do what you want. You can change your life however you want, but also like take your time. Mm -hmm. It's like you have room, you have breathing room to do whatever you want. So it's been interesting that people, um, I always thought I was going to be an artist and it didn't really quite pan out. I didn't have like the patience for it. It's mm. a lot of patience. <laughs> I really respect you. <laughs> it's a lot of patience. Um, and follow through, you know. Um, but it's neat that I get a little tiny taste of creating something that then uh, people have their own experience and like memory of, mm-hmm. you know, including like something subtle. Like how do you make a person feel that they, they have room in their life to breathe? Like how, what space does that? slash confident at the same time. I think you've achieved that because as you were saying that, I didn't know that was your intention, but I was going back in my mind to when I first entered that space. And I knew of you and your work before I came to the brick and mortar. 
so I kind of knew what I was expecting, but that's exactly how I felt. Really? Confident, like, oh, these are tools that can help me achieve these things, paired with the expertise and the um, soft skills and and other resources that you teach in your workshops or you share. It just it felt right, but also there was room. Because it's a mm. big a big space. It's a big space. And it has a lot of things. Yet it just felt like ah uh, like uh yeah. A lot of white space. Yeah. Yes. It's funny, it's been fun to create uh negative space uh-huh. in a three D yeah, environment. Yeah. yeah. I want to one of the things that I'm fascinated about your work is biceps. <gasps> yeah. So uh, that changed it's changing my life in the way that it provided room mental and emotional room for me to achieve my goals in a non-traditional way talk about it and then i'll tell you like how what that did to me i'm fascinated here um so biceps is an acronym b-i-c-e-p-s that stands for the six core needs that from a neurology and psychology perspective, we know matter so much to humans that for wh- whatever their specific core needs are of those six, that if you don't get them, you essentially aren't going to function at your best. And they're no longer like Maslow's hierarchy of like shelter, whatever, physical safety, Belonging. sex, mm-hmm. whatever. Because that actually was not really based on research. It was based on just, you know, a, a really cool psychologist theorizing about how humans function. Um, but now we have a ton of research that sh- shows actually that's not it. Like we are equally, so the B is belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, so a sense of inclusion of um, being accepted by a group and being respected and known and seen by that group. That's belonging. I stands for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, some people call, also call it like a sense of progress. So um, there's those projects where you work on it for six months and you don't feel that you've had any progress. So that probably would be threatening your sense of improvement or progress yeah. versus those other things like checking our email that feel like, oh my gosh, look at that. I just like archived five emails. That to our brain matters a lot. So to, like a sense of change and, and progress. The next one is C for choice. Um, I think of it as autonomy, like the ability to have choice over things that matter in your life. And then E is for equity or equality, a sense of fairness, that like there's fairness in the world. P for predictability. So we don't want too much of it. We don't want too little of it. But most of us have a really beautiful threshold of how, um, how much predictability we want. So for example, if your boss has a one-on-one with you every week, but they keep changing it and you never know when it's going to be, what time of the day, what time of the week, all of that, that might really threaten your sense of predictability. Yeah, you don't know where you're standing on and what's going to come next. Exactly. Or like when will you finally get to talk to them about that thing that matters a lot to you? So predictability can be, it can look very different. And then the last one is status. And some people call it significance because it sounds nicer than status, but I call it status. Meaning like where do you rank in importance with other people? And it can feel like people, maybe they give you specific props. So like maybe when you said like, oh, biceps has been really important to me and I've t- tell people about it. Maybe my sense of status just got boosted. I, I was know. Like, and I know that's important to you. And you know, from, you know, coming to my workshops that my two biggest. So everyone has a different order for those six coordinates. They're not all equal to all of us. And we also all exist in cultures that overvalue some more than others. So we're both Mexican and Mexican culture belonging is a huge currency. Mm -hmm. It's currency. You're right. It is currency. Like really we trade in it. We invest in it. We spend a lot of time creating it and we kind of get culturally and socially punished if we don't care about it. It's like a little, it's a weird thing to be like, I don't care about my family and friends. Like that's not very Mexican of you, right? Every culture has their own hierarchy, you know, and then all of us have our own hierarchy. And so some of us live in culture that really matches our own bicep needs. And so things are a little easier for us. (laughs) But most of us, you know, have a little different um, kind of order of how those are important to us. And so I wonder. So, by the way, this is Corneed's huge props goes to all the researchers like Daniel Pink and a bunch of researchers that um, the book Progress Principle who that actually broke these down. The only thing I did was made an acronym so that it was easy to remember them mm-hmm. and that it wasn't trademarked so that um, or copyrighted so that people could use it freely. 
And so that it's like easy to just talk about. So you didn't invent these needs or a way to categorize it. You invented the acronym. Like exactly. You, okay. Yeah. So that's often what I do is I just make like worksheets or tools or Which frameworks. again, it's so Just great. to make it accessible. And, right? and easy to, to remember, to use. I learned about this because I attended an event where you were speaking and you were explaining this. And it was so digestible and accessible. And if mm -hmm. I had, and it's, it's the same, this is, we're talking about like the same concept, but if someone else uh, were going to come to me and be like, yeah, so there's these needs and these things, it, it just like, it, immediately my brain would be like, okay, that's too hard to understand. Okay, bye. Right. You but just you made remember it. it. Exactly. Right. Acronyms are really helpful for that. And what's nice about biceps is it, I think because it's accessible, digestible mm -hmm. and also so short people can share it with each other so that so I've had people tell me things like now that I finally one it validates who we are and how we differ from each other like no longer are you weird for me it was really important to learn about all of the researchers who for example validated that autonomy and choice is one of the core needs one of mm. the top six because that's important to you because that's one of I think probably my number one core need of all the other ones. If I had to pick only one, that would be the one I pick. But I grew up um, in a culture and a family culture that really didn't get it. Mm -hmm, they were no. like, and he's like, love Oh, us. who do you think you are right. by being all <laughs> autonomous and making your choices? And no, 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 you have to be part of the pack. Yes. Right. You have to be part of the pack. You have to place belonging above everything else. Yep. So it can be validating one to finally have these things codified and just been like, no, this is actually research backed. This is very important. And some to more than other people, you know, that kind of thing. Two, it means you can talk to people about it so that they don't think you're an alien. Mm -hmm. Like your partner, your best friend, your coworker, your boss. Belonging. Yeah. Like, hey, actually, one of my most important core needs is belonging. And so when we go on in meetings and I don't get to hear from everyone, it makes me feel like we're not a real team. Like, and now your boss is like, oh, It never made sense to me before why now, you cared so much that everyone contributes. But actually now I understand that it's how you feel that we are a real team. Can you explain? I love the example you use of the choice, autonomy, core need, and the status one, like how that impacts you in your life and how you identified that those were your core, most important core needs and how like a specific example of you, how that happened? Yeah, I think, well, one of the interesting, th Daniel Pink um, was one of the ones that really kind of brought forth the idea around autonomy. And that's a pretty big, important thing for people. So when I was reading his work, I was like, okay, finally, this is validated. I'm not crazy. And in fact, one of the things you can do is you can just make a list of some of your favorite moments in life, some of the most energizing moments, what some of the most calming moments, but you can make a list of what I did was a list of like The moments when you feel you are your most badass, mm -hmm. like when you are just like killing it. Yes. Right. What, however that might be, it might've been very quietly, it might've been very loudly. Yeah, but the fact is how you were feeling in you that moment. felt it. And you can go as far back as you want from when you were very little all the way to like last week. And you make a list of that and you compare it to biceps and be like, what, what which of these six were very present for you um, during those moments? And the one that instantly popped out for me was autonomy. I was like, I feel my most badass, but I've since coached and worked with so many people who, when I give them that exercise, they will say things like belonging or predictability. Like I am my most badass when I have some basic certainties in life mm. and then I can really shine. I'm like, wow, that is not me. Yeah. Cool. But that's you. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, you know, you should look for this variable and protect it. Yes. So in the future, it allowed me when I started thinking about building my own businesses But I had this like amazing job at an amazing company with amazing coworkers that paid really well. And you think about leaving that. And then I looked at my core, my top three core needs. And I was like, well, autonomy is my biggest one. And I'll never fully have it. As Until. The, the bigger this company gets, I'll either have to keep climbing the ladder so that I always keep my autonomy. Mm -hmm. And or I'll have to be okay letting it go. And I will and never be not okay. a choice. I will not be yeah. a good, I will be not be my best self. Yeah. So it since has validated both really huge life decisions, like 
not just validated, helped me clarify which route to take and then validated whatever decision I chose. But it also helps in like little moments, you know, like if I think about whether I should take one client versus another, another corporate client, like they want, they, they both want workshops and I'm trying to, but I can't give it to both of them because I'm my schedule busy. I can look at my core needs and be like, well, do any of them threaten them? Do some of them don't? Is some of the work, like, for example, if one of them is like, oh, you're going to have to keep going to San Francisco every week. I'm like, I don't mind that because mm-hmm. it doesn't threaten my core needs. Mm-hmm. But another one would be like, oh, you have to go to New York City and New York City threatens my core needs mm. in so many ways. Um, so that might be like, oh, OK, so maybe that's not a good long term fit for each other because they're going to need me there and I'm not going to do as well there, you know? Uh- Yes. And regarding status, I loved how authentic you were and you own it. And you were like, well, oh, yeah. you know, status, <laughs> significance. Uh, honestly, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, that's not really important. It is for me. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, yeah. I think speaking of culturally, some of us grew up in families or grew in a dominant culture where you're not supposed to say that, like, you want to be the boss. You want to be the top dog. You, you want, want the attention. You yeah. want the attention. You want to, like, matter in front of humans. Yes. You're not supposed to say that. Mm-hmm. That research was like, oh, yeah, you can say that. And actually, it matters to some degree to everyone, but just some of us more than others. <laughs> and so... Um, It also helped me, for example, validate, oh, yeah, maybe it's okay to focus on being a trainer because, wow, I get a lot of status out of that. You, you're in front of a class or in front of a group. You're always referred to the leader. Mm-hmm. It's always feeding that core need. And right. I think that's so important to own it and recognize it. Like, you know what? Status is important to me. Yeah. And I like to be the boss and I like to be the leader and... Well, so be it. And so be it. And it doesn't mean that you outshine other people. You just have to put yourself in roles where you get enough of that, right? So like if I was like behind the scenes on a project, I would always be unhappy. And I would honestly probably be a crappy coworker Mm. because I'm not happy. So I'm not, it's not like, I think the nice thing about core needs is it's not about taking those from other people. It's about making sure you place yourself in roles and in situations where you get your own, Because you will be a better human to be around. Like, of course. And who doesn't want you to be a better human to be around? The best version of yourself, hanging out with the best version of other humans. And it's all like, yes, power. Yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden, when I was working at a company where more and more my boss was always kind of downplaying my role. and Like, like I would build this huge program and they would kind of just take all the credit. Part of me was like, oh, you shouldn't care. The point is you're doing important work, right? No, I care. <laughs> But I was like, actually, yes. I want to be in a role where I do get credit for what I'm building. Like yeah. that. And this clearly, to someone else, it may not matter. It But won't for you, affect it them doing their work. But it helps you decide, okay, cool. I Probably not a good match for me and this person. Exactly. Because they they're seeing that by giving me credit, they're taking credit from themselves. And I'm like, that's not it. We should both be getting credit. Correct. We both can get status from this, which is awesome. Yes. So yeah, it can help you navigate. It can help you negotiate situations. And it can also help you like, I think just feel that you're not weird. Yeah. Or if you are, you're the best kind of weird. <laughs> you know, that's for that's being the, yeah, how you being are. Being the best kind of weird, yes. Yeah. So one of the groups that I share this with, I am part of an um, artist mastermind, shout out ah. to Thrive Network. Yeah, It's uh, all women identifying folks. And we were talking about productivity and how as creatives, especially, we're always chasing, you know, the next project and the next thing that's gonna either make us money or put our name out there or generate an opportunity a big opportunity for us, like all these things, right? And I had just um, learned about biceps and I'm like, I'm going to share this with you. That's going to blow your mind. And when I send them the materials, like your article that you have on your website, I put an example because I thought like, oh, well, you were not in person with Paloma explaining and you're not going to get it. So I'm just going to like put this so it's easier for you because if you just get that, it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, and you need to categorize needs, but there was no context. So I'm like, okay, for example, and I use my own self. For me, choice is one of the, my biggest core needs. And 
the way you explained your experience with your weekend mortar and getting capital and, and investors and like being uh, your own boss and owning your time, I kind of translated that into my own art practice and my business and my personal life. And I was telling them, for example, choice is a really big core need for me. And what does that mean? That I want to have that choice to do a project or not. That I want to have the choice to wake up early or not. That I want to have the choice to travel to, I don't know, like an art conference or not. That I want to have the choice to produce my own content. And in order to do that, I need money so people don't dictate. For example, if I get like a an investor and they're like, oh, okay, we're going to help you, but you need to follow these guidelines. Right. And I don't want to follow those guidelines. I want to do my own work. The work that sparks joy for me, that work that speaks to me, the work that means something to me. So it's really authentic and genuine. And in order to me calling all the shots, I need to have resources that translate into money, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's just paper that we add value to. But that paper helps us have autonomy in the ways that you get to call the shots, right? So how do I fulfill this core need of choice? I have to generate a certain amount of money a month or a week or a year in order to have all my resources aligned and be able to keep doing the work that I do. And then at the end of the day, yes, I got money. I crossed some T's and, and run some errands and did the projects that I wanted to do. But in the end, what really like the nectar of that is that my core need of having a choice and autonomy is satisfied. So then I am content with myself and my life and I can live with that. And I am, I'm thriving and I'm the biggest badass that I can be. So, you know, it's just like reframing it and, and reverse engineering it to see like, how can I achieve this need? And then that sparked a really important conversation with this group. And a few people were like, Vanya, that makes so much sense. And I've been trying to tell myself that money is not important to me, <laughs> but it is so important yeah. because it gives me choice. It gives me freedom to, I don't want to buy the cheap art supplies and make a lot of work. I'm fine doing one big expensive piece of art, but I want to, I want to have the choice of buying this paintbrush and not that one. I want to have the choice of submitting my work to this gallery and not that one. And for that, you need resources that translate into money. You know, it's like a bigger conversation, but I loved, um, that this new categorizing of needs help me understand, give perspective to things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it sounds like it helped you understand which resources you needed so that you could have that versus just looking at how other artists are doing or how an artist organization tells you to do it. Because then, it, one, you're not going to be a happy artist. Exactly. You it know? totally doesn't matter because they might get a rush by doing, I don't know, maybe a work that doesn't pay them, but it's solving um, hunger crisis in Africa. And right. for them, it's like, oh, my core need of equity and equality is fulfilled and I'm thriving. And I'm like, ah, uh, well, it's not that important to me. Right. No. Like it matters, but not that much. But not, not that in much. order to sacrifice my others. Exactly. Right. And I think that helps... I love that example because I also feel that money, there's a few core needs that money really helps facilitate. For many people, I hear them say that they realize that money helps them get predictability, mm. right? Because all of a sudden they're like, if I could get X amount each month, I could finally focus on this other thing. Like, I just need a certain amount. They don't everything. have or the balls on the air and they're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen next. Right. So Right. Or they're it's like, money allows me to have. So there, I was working with an executive who was like, finally, she was like, I realized that money allows me to have a personal assistant, a personal assistant. It's like, I don't have to think about the luxury or not luxury of it. The point is the personal assistant creates so much predictability in certain my life so I can take bigger risks. Yes. And so she took on this amazing risk. She started two different businesses. They're both bonkers. Amazing. Like she was able to do that because she recognized Certainty is actually really important to me. I'm willing to take big risks. I need certain things to be certain. Mm -hmm. And I get to choose what they are. And I'm not a boring person because I need that. And I'm not a luxurious person or whatever, like a richy rich person or something because I have a personal assistant because it's all about my core needs. And also no one lost. Like yeah. no one, I didn't take... I didn't take someone, I didn't steal You're someone's personal assistant. You're generating a new job. Yeah. And your personal assistant's in love with her. So like... 
How awesome for things to work out. You're fulfilling your life's purpose. Like, I think it's just a matter of reframing things and, and you know, stop criminalizing money, stop vilifying status, because it's all about the context. It's yeah. all about the frame that it has around. So, Paloma, I know one big subject of your line of work and among your audience is the science of productivity. Yes. So what are the top five tools and resources you recommend for being more productive? What, and and what, what does that mean to you? Or what have you, what have yeah. you, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. Um, I've been surprised um, how many people ask around, not within productivity, when you ask them, tell me more like what's going on. Um, one of the really big themes is um, essentially feeling stressed about data redundancy, which is the fancy version of that. And what it means is, for example, someone coming in and saying, I have a habit tracker. I have a goal tracker. I also have my schedule. I have a paper calendar. At oh home man, so many things. So many things. And so they, what we have now in our very modern lives is like 40 places where we keep different categories of data of like facts and notes and ideas events phone numbers all these things right yeah google calendar your email your computer your ipad your phone exactly notes your journal oh many yeah so many yeah so many and it was surprising um to to hear how many people have some version of this question um but it's not surprising in that I mean, it makes sense. We have now a choice paralysis about where we keep this information. We have too many options. And every day there's a new app oh, yeah. promising to like to solve all, all your problems, solve yes. all of these problems. But what's interesting about the a lot of the apps and things like that um, and why in part I opened 1111 is there's so much research around how analog I eat pen and paper, you know, like using our hands around a writing utensil that then gets put onto like a hard piece of something. Canvas or um, paper. Whatever. Yeah. That um, we essentially ha we're wired after millennia to make very specific cognitive processes happen through that behavior. We synthesize data better when we take pen to paper. We re regulate emotions better when we take pen to paper. We like all of these things. And from, again, evolutionary, it kind of makes sense because, right, we've been using some version of a writing tool onto a hard surface for way longer than pushing Keys random buttons or, yeah. on a, on a tiny little tablet, right? <laughs> that really the behavior of that has we we are millennia away from that behavior doing what the past behavior used to do. So it makes sense that it's calming, it's emotion regulating, it helps us process information better, it helps us remember things better. And so what I always ask people is, well, which digital tools are working so good for you and you kind of you really like using them? Um, and which analog tools, if you've tried any, work for you? And then let's essentially just get those whichever tools you're choosing, one in each camp, mm -hmm. let's get those to do more things for you versus mm -hmm. add another app or get you another notebook or like none of that. We're going to simplify. And so I've had so much fun at the store when people come in and they bring me their tools, like they bring me their notebook, they're this, they're that. Some people have five notebooks in their, in their backpack, right? Different shapes, different sizes for different things. Some have lines, some have graph paper, all of that. Oh they bring God. them to me. And then I'm like, okay, let's maybe knock down one or two of these. And sometimes they show me their Google calendar, whatever that's on their phone, their, you know, grocery list on their phone, that whatever. And I'm like, okay, let's get, like, now tell me which one is really frustrating. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So then tell me that. And then we just kind of map it. One of the things that turns out we specialize in the store is customizing already existing tools. So when you ask me the question of like, what are the top tools? There's really one major category, which is the tiny customizing tools. Like, um, and each of them don't sell more than the other. They just like color coding and labels and that. Yeah. Kind of thing? So, for example, one is dot stickers that are color coded. Right? I use those. You know those <laughs> because you can use them to track your habits in your current calendar at home that you already own. Mm -hmm. You can use it to track your habits in your notebook that you already own. Um, you can use them in so many different ways. The other one is these little calendar tabs that essentially have all 2019 and now 2020 
months and a little tiny sticker that you can put either in your notebook. It's maybe you have an, a blank notebook and all you need to do is turn that into like half of it into a planner because mm-hmm. you don't need to plan everything on your paper planner, just maybe overall big project deadlines. So I'm like, oh, cool. A big, a big scope of your year. Exactly. So you like just major, get a sense. Yeah. Right. Because all the details are actually in Google Calendar, for example. Mm. So when people come in, they ask us those questions. We love being like, hmm. We've, it's like <laughs> Sudoku. Yes. It's like, what can we move so that all of this weirdly adds up? You know, but yeah. it might mean that like, yeah, there's a thing that you don't have to force anymore. You don't have to be like, yes, you have to use Google Calendar. No matter what, you have to use it. It's like, no, most of the time, there's ways to take your current tools and make them slightly better mm. um, without you learning a new system. I think people come in and think I'm going to teach them a new system. Like, let me break down bullet journaling 101 and you've never tried it. I'm like, mm-hmm. nope, I might show you a bullet journal spread that helps you track your finances but it's really like you can just take a picture of it. You don't have to buy anything. Like, so, you know, in, in essence, productivity comes down to consolidating your tools. So there's no data redundancy or not unintentional data unintentional. redundancy. Because if we nerd okay. out, there are some things that actually really help to do twice. Mm. So, for example, writing an idea down in your notebook and it's messy notebook. Mm-hmm. Great but you maybe highlight or you put a little star next to the ones that need to make it to your Google calendar to further expand on, mm. right? Cause you're like, I need 40 minutes with that idea to see if I can flesh it out for the next blog post. Mm-hmm. So that's not a redundancy. I mean, it's technically a redundancy. It's an intentional redundancy that allows a staging area and then a final area, Ooh. which our brains understand. Oh yeah. Because I can totally relate to this. I have a notebook where I like jot down ideas, like really messy. And then another one where I do it cleanly. And for me, it makes total sense. And it's, I'm going to use a super weird analogy, but yeah. this is part of my, yeah, myself. When I, for an example, bubblegum culture in Mexico is big after you eat. Like every taco stand, like they have chicles, like bubblegum there, or like uh, there's this whole brand like Loretz. If you don't, if you're running and you're in between meetings or something and you ate something and you don't have time to brush your teeth, like you take some bubblegum. Anyway, I do this thing where for me it makes sense where in order to ha- to have that tropical, fruity, pleasant flavor sense in my mouth, first I use a mint gum or a pepper, yeah, peppermint gum to like cleanse and then I use a fruity one. It's like such a ridiculous thing, but it's the same for me with my notebooks. Like I first like do the messy, the one that does like the elbow grease work and then I do like the, not fancy one, but the one that's like more, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I think our brains understand stages or phases. Uh Yes, 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 yes. And in fact, I would say they, it's it's tapping into that sense of improvement and progress, right? Because you know that you're making progress. You know how the, the order of things. The only thing is creating systems where it's easy to be consistent, mm. right? Like, for example, if you could never find mint gum, that would mess up your system. Oh, yes. And it would right? be a little like OCD, yes. Right. So a lot of times people come in and one of the other tools that is secretly one of my favorite tools are these clear adhesive pockets mm. because you can stick them on the back of a clipboard. You can stick them on the side of your fridge. You can stick them in your notebook, inside, outside your notebook so that the little things you need to make that tool work, you can stick them in there. For example, the dot So you stickers. always have them. Yeah. So you always have them. Maybe that's where you keep your habit tracker. Maybe that's where you keep. So you don't have a whole new notebook for habit tracking. You have a little pocket that you can add to anything. Yeah, a lot of my favorite things. I mean, we have every kind of planner. We just launched the Create Your Notebook station. Mm -hmm. I saw that. That's really cool. I'm so excited because the other thing that was like painful as far as like favorite tools was when someone would come in and be like, I love this planner. It's perfect. I just wish it had a monthly view. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I really want to give that to you. But that one doesn't have a monthly view. Someone else would be like, oh. Or a different cover. Yeah. Or, or like, I love this, but I have, wish I had this. I love this, but I wish I had this. Mm-hmm. And now we can be like, cool, we'll Let's build it, it for you. We'll just build it for you. That's so cool. Changing the world one notebook at a time. One, one journal at a time. time. Um, thank you for that. Now, before we get to the lightning round, I want to... What is an important concept that you would like to share? What is something you're like, oh, this is a nugget of wisdom. This is pure gold. 
Okay. So one thing that if I could just like the one little nugget that I would give to people around productivity, they could do nothing else is really to start if they haven't already to start cultivating, working on practicing focus time, true focus time, which means minimum of 20 minutes up to however many hours you want where there are zero distractions, external distractions. So meaning no notifications on your phone, your phone maybe isn't even in the room, no laptop in the room, unless you're using it for that specific thing, but maybe all notifications are turned off on your laptop, you know how to do that. Like really, really focused time. Again, it can just be for 20 minutes a day. It is one of the most, I think it's gonna be one of the most crucial life skills in this modern era because our apps are not helping and our technology is fighting us, but our brains do phenomenally better long-term and short-term when they have true focus, not all the time, but at least 20 minutes a day. And especially for like tasks that matter. If you're just like sorting through your emails, sure, have all your notifications on, have the TV blasting, have the radio blasting, have a podcast going, sure. But like, maybe you're thinking of like next year's strategy. Maybe you're thinking about how to reach that big financial savings goal or something, right? Something that matters and really could require the best part of your brain. Turn all that shit off. Like notifications, all that stuff. And when you're, when you can use pen and paper, like really like a napkin at the bar is probably better for that problem solving than the best app you can find. And I try a lot of apps. And it really, 20 minutes of true focus. True focus. We'll do so much more for your productivity than any, any app, app any will tool, ever do. Any, anything. It really will. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. As a speaker, as a coach, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, what has been the hardest lesson to learn? I think to that you really should only take like 10% of the advice you're given. It's really most of the advice you're given is going to confuse you, sidetrack you, make you feel that you're wrong, that you're not smart. Mm. Um, and speaking of biceps, I have found that I take the advice that that is aligned with my biceps. That is really clever. And on that note, what is the best advice someone has given you? Well, that's hard because I had to filter so much out. Yeah, so I'm thinking something <laughs> in your 10%. <laughs> oh, I think the best advice that someone gave me is ignore whatever people tell you about which social media platform you should be on as blink and blink kind of business. Do the ones that you find joyful to be on and ignore all the other ones and ignore anyone that tells you you must be on Twitter. You must be on this and that. It has been so amazing to take her words like really deeply in my heart and to follow them. That is great. great And it feels relieving to hear that. I'm going to take that one. Thank you. What was a toy you always wanted but never had as a kid? so many my parents were real minimalist on the toys um here's a block of wood yeah go at it yeah barbies i never actually had a real barbie and i i liked how i liked the feeling of the plastic the rubber mm. a real barbie is feels pretty different like yeah it's sturdy. dirty yes it's so sturdy. Sturdy. You and could, like, it's really, like good great silicone on yeah, those legs whatever yeah. that feels like that nah, my barbies didn't feel like that <laughs> What is a moment when you feel magical? I think when I hear someone, I when I hear a customer bring a friend in or like their family in and they describe the store to their friend or family member, like they walk in and they're like, okay, let me tell you about the store. And they're like essentially being the host. And I hear their words, like their own words. It's so magical. I'm like, whoa. And I don't think they know who I am. I'm just like, I don't know. That's really cool because your work speaks for itself. Like the store speaks, it, it, like, it has it a life of its own. Exactly. Yeah, it translated into someone else's brain. And now they're excitedly telling someone else about it in their life. That is so cool. So good. What is an album that changed your life? 
Bikini Kill. I'd never heard, uh, specifically the, the song Rebel Girl. I'd never heard someone talk, a woman talk about another woman that way. Like, like so happy. And there's a word in German I don't remember, which is pride at someone else's like amazingness. Mm-hmm. And it's this, this whole song about that. that. And about who's the artist? Bikini Kill. Oh, but then, then the album. Rebel Girl. Oh, Rebel Girl. Well, the song is called Rebel Girl. It was the first time I heard it on some college radio station in high school. And I was like, who is this? That's amazing. What is your dream collaboration? Uh, this is a trick question for me because I collaborate so badly. Mm. I'm a bad collaborator because, because you always want to do it. <laughs> um, and I own that, but I'm a really good relay racer. You know, mm. where like you do a chunk and then you just give it to the next person and they yes. trust them to do whatever it is. But you're like, don't ask me to do things in pairs. In I'll just like do my shit and then you do your part. Yeah, yeah, I'm not good at that. Actually, you know. Actually, no. You, I just realized I would do anything to collaborate with Jensen Chero. Really? Yeah, because she... She's amazing. Her energy yeah. and her story, I would love to like turn her brain into a series of worksheets for people. Oof, that would be amazing. Yeah. I, I really love her work and her books really speak to me on a yeah. different level. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't new to self-help or the universe or energy, but the way that she puts things, it's just again, relatable, accessible and digestible. Yeah. So Jensen Chero, I know you're listening to this. I'll so, make you some worksheets. <laughs> what has been your biggest fuck up? Oh, that's so many. Um, I think my biggest fuck up was waiting so long to start bigger companies like you know to not start tiny mm. i i think to play biggest, big yeah just be like build the thing the size you think it should be versus build the thing the size that makes you feel safe and that no one will critique you mm. and call you bonkers i i feel yeah that was actually a bigger because all the other mistakes i've made since then i'm like yeah we survived it was fine but that felt like it I really... wish I could have done built companies the size they should have been built well 1111 is roaring yeah it's fine what is your relationship with grief I don't have one I mean mm. not really um besides like daily little things that you're like oh I'm feeling like I'm grieving the loss yes. of this thing no I actually when my dad because my dad just went into the hospital and he's totally fine it was just like a little scare it was the first time because all my parents are alive I have three parents that I was like, oh shit, grief is a thing that will be in my future because, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah, I'm human. Because you're human. And because I love other humans. So yeah, and, and it was terrifying. It was totally terrifying. Yeah, it's a, it's a big scary thing. Yeah. That it's part of human it's life. It just has to be part of life. What is your relationship with pleasure? Oh, um, I think of myself as a very hedonistic person, mm-hmm. like, um, like biblically. <laughs> and I um, love that you're like, actually, just yeah. like really like nonchalant, like, yeah, yeah I love hedonistic. pleasure. In that, like, and I really mean biblically in that, you know, this over emphasis and over prioritization of whether or not something is pleasurable. Mm. So it could be sexual pleasure. It could be just like other kinds of sensual pleasure, like melting a piece of chocolate in your mouth is you know and yeah, like being it could like be food it could be could like be asmr things where you're like oh my god asmr yes. right so i think I, it goes up and down and i feel less hedonistic right now because i feel so intellectually stimulated mm-hmm. by this current bike by, by 11 11 so it's funny that like it's not a thing that i'm really i'm not as much i'm still pretty much you know but yeah i i think past being 25 or something after that I kind of stopped feeling uh, like I had to make excuses for why pleasure all the pleasures were all the fascinating and really human like made me the most human I really was just like oh no it's just about balancing them well so you take care of all sides of yourself not just the ones that like want the pleasure I love that it's so empowering to witness you be yourself because it just gives me life. It, it It's reaffirming and reassuring that I need to be myself in every capacity. And 
I admire your work and, and what you've created so much. But as a human, I think you're such a magical human because you are so yourself. And that is like, I need those reminders. I feel we all need, but I'm going to speak for myself. I need <laughs> those reminders because yeah, I can get sidetracked with life and society and expectations and shit. And it's like, no, everything is really simple in reality. Yeah, I think um, it's all of us need those. I mean, I feel like barbers need barbers kind of thing. I think that doing things like this reminds me like, oh, right, like that's a thing. So I just turned 40. I'm about to turn 41 Whee! in June. So this has been my, my year, like the year of 40. And the thing that like, so I feel very proud about is like that is like, oh, right. This is when I get to thrive because of figuring some stuff out. Like, pleasure is amazing and just balance it you know like balance it out you you can have as much of it as you want yes, so don't there's no shame bonkers. in it yeah you get to have it whenever you want so pace yourself yeah because there's so much more down the road oh there is <laughs> what was the last gift you gave someone Ooh, you know the love languages yes gift giving is not mine either mm. way <laughs> So this is a trick. This is a hard one for me. I thought you were going to say, I gave that book to someone. No, but it, that's an amazing reference. <laughs> I think of things like uh, sending a friend a book or mm. something like that, but it doesn't feel like a gift. Yeah. Like I didn't wrap it. I was just like, I think hey. you love this book. Because I, I don't think of gifts. I see. Like I don't understand them. Yeah. You have other love languages yeah, like right, you. Right. Are um, you good at receiving them though? I try to be. Okay. I try to be like, wow. Um, but really, I'm just like, if you hugged me for like 10 minutes. That would be, yeah. That would be amazing. I know. I um, love cuddling and physical touch. Yeah, and just... totally. Um, but, you know, actually, the, so the last one was probably to my parents. Um, I sent I sent people flowers. That's mm. a gift, I guess. That's a, that's a beautiful gift. I send gift. a lot of flowers. That's a, that's a good beautiful. one. They are. Yeah. They are. What is the most creative thing you've done? Uh, I love this question uh, because I've been working with Design Museum as one of the many lovely folks doing advisory council stuff with them. And um, they're this huge group of people that have reminded me that even though I'm not an artist anymore, and so some people are like, oh, I'm not green, or like, I'm not an artist anymore. The most creative thing I've ever done is the store. Like mm -hmm. the fact that I was just like, I know these two things don't normally exist in the world together but I want them to because I think they'll add something to human lives. Like that's creativity. And I did that and I'm doing it and like you have to, you know, get creative to market it, to talk to people about it, to keep, get people to come in and then you have to get creative about how the little details so that it keeps working for humans. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think if I feel proud that um, creativity, you get to do it in whatever wild realm you live in because you're just connecting two things so that humans have a nicer experience in something or an interesting experience or a totally new experience that's all that's a really good answer and you are that's really really creative the store the concept the way you execute it really creative so props to you and yeah. i believe like everyone's creative in their own way right you know, i feel like creativity gets um I'm trying to broaden the spectrum or the um, concept of creativity so people don't think that creativity is just paint and artists. Right, visual creativity or audio. Is, like my husband is the most creative person to pack, to condense things in a plastic box. Tetris in the <laughs> trunk. Tetris, yeah. Tetris in Life the trunk. Tetris. Exactly. And he's so, a yeah. computer science engineer. And before he would say like, no, I'm not creative. And I'm like, dude, you are the most creative at finding solutions for these things. So I always wonder why people say they're not creative and in, in what way that serves them. Because I, there's like some part of them... I never want to be like, yes, you are, but I want to be like, yes, you are. But I want, mostly I should next time ask, like, what would it mean if you were creative? Yeah, like exactly. In, uh, that's really happens? interesting. Like, how would that serve you? Yeah, what happens if you all of a sudden oh. consider yourself creative? Oh, that's beautiful. And then to end on a funny note, do you have any crazy travel stories? Oh, <laughs> yeah. What kind of crazy? Whatever you want. It can be whatever. What is, like, if I say crazy travel story, what pops into your mind? 
Well, I, the one I'm most proud of because it was the most scary. <laughs> and I, I did the right thing, I think. I was doing work trade in Spain where you just go for like two or three weeks and work for free and, and you get to stay there for free and you get fed. And I was told that it would be in a castle, that it would be castle restoration in rural Spain. And I was like, oh yeah, put me down. That sounds amazing. So I went and I showed up. And um, an old, old, old man picked me up. And right away, I felt like a weird gut feeling about it. Um, and as he drove me, and I was like, where are the other work traders? And he was like, well, none are coming in just yet. And I was like, mm, still weird feelings about this. So fast forward, there I am. He, we finally make it back to the quote unquote castle. It was not a castle. It was like a crumbling house, a very, very crappy crumbling house. And we make it back and it's time. It's like, dusk it's like 7 8 p.m it's very it's getting very dark we're in the middle of nowhere with maybe a few neighbors around um and i officially am like this man <laughs> this man is very unsafe to me yeah. like something bad's gonna happen and i but he's being very nice but the things he's saying i can tell yeah, you could is, sense it yeah you can sense it right gut feeling and so even though he's being overly nice and it was still super creeping me out. And I realized what situation I was in. I was like, okay, so I need you to stop. He was giving me a lot of compliments. And I was like, I need you to stop saying that because it's actually inappropriate at this point. And he was like, I'm just trying to make you feel better. And I was like, cool. So I'm going to leave now. And this isn't like my botched up Spanish. How, how old were you? I was maybe 30. Okay. I wasn't that young. Okay. You know? um, but this was my first time traveling alone also so i was just you know it was like yeah so i was like cool i'm gonna leave now and he's like where are you going and i was like um i'm just gonna i'm gonna go for a walk but i'm gonna take my backpack with me because i had like a backpack yeah and he was like why would you take your backpack and i'm like cool i get to know why i take my back i was being so weird and he was like are you leaving and i was like nope just going for a walk so i left and i was like i'm definitely leaving and I just randomly, I walked and walked and walked until I found this abandoned gas station. I mean, it was like closed down because it was dark. And I just, I think I just hung out there and someone drove by this like couple and I was like, cool, better than that other guy. And I was like, hey, so here's my story. I told them my story. And they're like, yeah, that guy's weird. We know that guy. He's weird. And I was like, what kind of weird? And he's like, oh, he's just weird. So I was like, how much can I pay you to drive me? Which was like a two hour drive to oh the city. God. And they were like $40. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. like you just have to drive me to an ATM once we get there. And I did, I like got out and it felt I, like in hindsight, it was only a crazy story because in hindsight, you're just like, yeah, you should get out of there. Of course you left. Great. I'm, I'm glad that you found it right. But in the moment, it was one of the first times in a totally strange country that I was like, I'm going to go with my gut feeling, even though on paper, this could sound totally safe. Yeah. I'm just going to go with it. And, and now also, in hindsight, I'm like, what was I doing there to begin with? I know. And there's <laughs> and there's all kinds of um, factors that come in. Like who who knew that that couple was a good couple? Yeah. You know, what if right. they were even worse and weirder than totally. that man? But I think the lovely thing about travel, especially for women travelers who travel alone, is like actually we're mostly always safe. Yeah. As long as we go with our gut feeling. And I always stayed safe. I mean, I've since traveled alone a ton. And I've always actually been actually safe mm. as soon as I like acted on my gut feelings. And so like, it's not scary. It's just like, and actually I'm glad that I had such weird, funny stories because, you know, in that, that level of risk taking allowed me to have really other amazing and less like weird stories. <laughs> but very, mortifying. Yeah, but actually totally like fun stories. Like I got to live in a forest with a bunch of, like anarchists for two months and we just built our own shelters. That was so super risk-taking. It was the same as with this other guy. Yeah, but you felt different. Your gut was my telling gut you was that like, that was safe yeah, and that was okay. My gut was like, this is awesome. These people are, are amazing humans. Oh. So anyway. Thank you for sharing that and for that reminder that we need to listen yeah. to our gut and go with it. Go like, with just it. Like, it's so smart. It's so smart. <laughs> I read um, really someone said, I don't know, on the internet, I wish I could credit this person. It was like, you know, something that was reposted and reposted that said, gut feelings are like guardian angels or, and then this Mexican person added, or panza powers. <laughs> <laughs> panza power. Panza power, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, in research-wise, we, we know a little more that 
that in fact gut feeling might just be our really crazy fast limbic system telling us like I've done the I've competed this way faster than your prefrontal cortex can process. Yes. And I know that this Trust is a bad me. situation. Yes. So like, I'm just so fast. I can't explain it to you right now. Oh, that and, is such a cool way to put it. Yeah. Yes. Researchers are like, yeah, actually, there's something to this gut feeling thing. Have you read the link? Yes. That's a really great book that kind of starts talking about like, wait, actually, this kind of makes sense. Yeah. It's not Snap a fake decision thing. has a, like, there's something to it. There's something. Yeah. There's a lot of intelligence behind it. I love anyway. this. I wish we could keep talking for hours and hours. Your work is fascinating, what you've created. I Thank admire you. you so much. I'm grateful for you and the work you do. And is there anything else you would like to share? Something that I didn't ask or something that you think it's important for the audience to know? No, this has been so fun. I love hanging out with you. Oh, likewise. It's so great. Where can people find you? Uh, 1111supply, so 1111supply.com. And then on Instagram, we are very active on Instagram. That is the social media platform I feel joyful. Me in. too. It brings me joy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's just also 1111supply. So 1111supply on there. Thank you so much, Paloma. Thank you. <laughs> This is what I'm taking away from my conversation with Paloma. Number one, don't underestimate those tiny moments when you help a human, either in a retail setting or a live setting. They matter and have a big impact. Number two, using the right tools makes a huge difference. Take the time to identify them invest in them, and see your life change. When we get the right objects in our lives, they do something to us, something good. Number three, no matter what the task is, the sense of progress matters to our brain. So track your progress. Number four, once you identified what your core needs are, Put yourself in roles and situations when you get enough of them, because that will not only make you shine, it'll make you a better human to be around. And who doesn't want you to be a better human to be around? Number five, money is just paper that we assign value to, but that paper gives us autonomy. So if autonomy and choice and predictability are important to you, take the judgment out of it and go get that money. Number six, cultivate and practice focus time. This means a minimum of 20 minutes where there are zero external distractions. True focus time is one of the most crucial life skills in this modern era. Number seven, only take 10% of the advice that you're given. All the rest is going to confuse you. Number eight, pleasure is amazing. You can have as much of it as you want and whenever you want. Just balance it. Pace yourself. Number nine, listen to your gut. Your intuition is so smart. Gut feelings process things faster than our brains. Trust them. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby. Mm -hmm.